uh, Acts chapter 9, we are going to look at the first nine verses today. Um, before we read that, before we pray, let me just give you a little context. So, um, the book of Acts, there are times, there are times in the book of Acts where, uh, just like on a TV show, you, you ever watch those shows and you see a character pop up and he seems like he's going to be important, but then he doesn't come around for like another three or four episodes? All right. In the book of Acts, there, we have something like that. At the end of chapter 6 uh, and chapter 7, there's mention of this guy named Saul. And, and Saul is kind of there. He kind of pops up. And then we don't hear anything about it for him for, for a little while. Um, but as we go into chapter 9 today, that's what we're going to look at. And immediately following the death of Stephen, his name popped up this morning as well. Um, it, it, the following the death of Stephen, there was this massive persecution of the Christians. Like as soon as the last rock hit Stephen, he laid down, went to be with Jesus. It was like this fire just spread throughout the city of Jerusalem um, going, after the, uh, going after the Christians. Um, and, and, and it was most likely spearheaded and organized by this game, by this guy named Saul. Like he was, he was one of the most zealous ones. He was the one who led it. Acts chapter eight, verse one says this, Saul agreed with putting him to death. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. This persecution was sparked off by Saul. Let's pray, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Saul as we dive into this. Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we, uh, as we dive into this passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray that uh, as, as we take a look at, at what was probably one of the most significant events in all of church history, uh, that we would, we would find the, the things that are in that that are applicable to us, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to, to what we're going to see in this passage and that we would be different people as a result. Thank you for this man, Saul, and what impact he had on every person in this room that is a believer's life. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. Um, Okay, so we got this guy named Saul, and, and while it may seem, as we progress through this, as, as the verse I just read showed you that he was the one responsible for starting um, the, the persecution, and while it may seem like he's the bad guy, and in this particular story, he is the bad guy, um, there is no one who did more to advance the gospel outside of Jesus Christ than Saul. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest, later on, we'll see this, his name changes to Paul, all right, so if I happen to say Paul instead of Saul, just go with it. All right, it's kind of like when we were talking about Abraham and Abram, how his name was Abram and he turned into Abraham, and I kept saying Abraham, and then I have to correct myself. If I slip up and say Paul instead of Saul, just go with it. Don't be a third grader and correct me, okay? That drives me crazy. All right, um, and as we're going to see in today's passage of Scripture, Jesus grabbed a hold of Saul. And the world was never the same as a result of this interaction. It was a dramatic conversion, one that has never been repeated. But it is very likely, like I said, you and I would not be sitting here today if it were not this event that happened on the road to Damascus. Um, John MacArthur, he's a, he's a writer, he wrote this. Saul was by birth a Jew, by citizenship a Roman, by education, a Greek, and purely by the grace of God, a Christian. He was a missionary, theologian, evangelist, pastor, organizer, leader, thinker, fighter for truth, and lover of souls. 
Never has a more godly man lived except our Lord himself. But when we look at him today, you're going to see all of those things that I just, all those uh, accolades that I just gave to him. You're going to look at him today and go, how in the world did this man become that man? Um, Through the grace of God. That's how that happens. Now, let's go ahead and read. We're going to read um, Acts 9. One, we're going to read all the way down uh, through verse 9, and then we're going to break it into a couple different sections. Now, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus... A light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, like I said, we're going to take this passage apart. We're going to break it into three sections. The the sections are going to be the persecution by Saul to kind of set the context of who he was, the intervention by Jesus, and the obedience of Saul. All three of these events were necessary for the world to be shaped and changed the way that it was. Outside of the birth of Jesus and his death and resurrection, there is no other event in the history of mankind that had such a profound impact on the spiritual lives of so many people. I mean, and you'll see what I mean here. All right, so Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we're going to be looking at um, the persecution by Saul. Now, just to give you some background, let me give you a little bit of background information on Saul. Saul was from a city called Tarsus, and Tarsus was a pretty rich cosmopolitan city. It was, uh, I mean, I guess you'd think of it like uh, Boston or New York. It was one of those places that people wanted to be from. And so if you're like, oh, I'm, I'm from Tarsus, I mean, this was, this was a big deal to be from there. Um, it was located, Tarsus was located near Asia Minor, where Asia Minor and Syria meet. Saul's father was a Roman citizen, so Paul had all the rights and, and privileges that came along with being a Roman citizen as well. Back in the, at the time that this took place, being a Roman citizen was something that everybody wanted to have. And we'll see later on in the book of Romans that it was possible to buy citizenship, but if you were born as a Roman citizen, that kind of puts you on a higher tier. There's an encounter where, where Paul and, um, and a, uh, an official are having a conversation, and Paul says, well, I'm a Roman citizen. And the guy said, well, so am I. I, I purchased mine. And Paul said, well, I, I was born one. And the guy went, oh, okay, hold on one second, sir. Let me, let me get this all taken. It's like when you tell the, tell the manager that you're you know, someone important, and he wants to you know, roll out the red carpet for you. Um, Saul's father was also a Pharisee, and Saul became a Pharisee as well. Um, when he was of the, uh, of the age, Saul was sent from Tarsus, and he went to Jerusalem, where he studied under the greatest rabbi of the day, a man called Gamaliel. 
And to study under Gamaliel was one of the, the highest privileges that a, a Jewish person could have because Gamaliel was so highly respected. Um, and even though Saul spent time in Jerusalem, it, it, it seems to indicate that he returned to Tarsus before Jesus arrived in Jerusalem because their paths never cross until this point. Um, this is the man who was going to lead the persecution of the church. Like he, was a, he was young, he was zealous, he was, he was fired up to do all of these things. Um, and now to set the context of what's going to happen, we need to have an appreciation for just how bad the persecution being perpetrated by Saul was. When the Bible tells us that Saul was breathing threats and murder, in Acts chapter 1 it says, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. In essence, the, the Greek words behind that was, um, in, in some translations it talks about he was breathing them out. The idea behind it is the fact that he was actually breathing in threats and murder. He was obsessed with destroying the church and destroying the disciples. Every single thought he had was, I need to end this. I need to get rid of it. It needs to go away. And so he, he was consumed by the hate that he had for Jesus and the hate that he had for his disciples. Um, he was entirely focused on his mission of destroying disciples so much that even the air he was breathing had to do with wiping them out. I don't know if you've ever been obsessed so much with something. There are times, um, and I'm sure we've all experienced this, sometimes where you get so mad that you see red. Like I, I, I had a conversation with somebody and, and it got me so fired up. All I could see was red. And Tina was like, you need to calm down. You need to calm down. Because, I mean, my head was throbbing. That is what Paul was experiencing. He had so much anger and hatred for it. Saul heard that there were disciples in Damascus. So he went to the high priest to get permission to go and get them. Acts 26, we'll see this later on, but Acts 26, 9 through 11, this is Paul talking to, um, he's giving his testimony. He said, in fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. Paul was, or Saul, sorry, Saul was consumed with wiping this out. And it appears that the high priest, who was the de facto leader of the Jewish state at that point, he gave Saul permission, the permission he needed, to pursue these men, these heretics, to the other cities. So he got his letters, he got, some, he got an entourage, because it says he was going to take them back to prison. You know, I, I can't imagine Paul was going to have this, this long chain and have all the Jewish people um, that he arrested uh, chained together, dragging them down the street like you might see on a cartoon. He had to have taken a group of men with him in order to escort these prisoners back. Saul and his entourage packed up the things they needed, and they set out for Damascus. The road that they would take from Jerusalem to Damascus, it went north and to the east. And so in doing so, it was going to take them right past Samaria. Now, being a Jew, Paul wasn't going to go to Samaria. But if you remember what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, what's taking place in Samaria? There's a revival. People are getting saved. People are becoming believers and following Jesus. 
And as they were getting closer to Samaria, you had to think that Paul or Saul knew that this was taking place in that city, and it just made him all the angrier. He just got madder and madder as that was taking place. In Acts chapter 9, verse 2, it states that Saul and his men were searching for those who belonged to the way. What was this? What, when, when he talks about the way, what were they talking about? At that time, there, there were people who, were, who used that phrase, the way, in a derisive term. They said, oh, you're part of the way, or are you following the way? Um, it, it was used to describe those disciples. More importantly, though, the way is not a religion or a set of rules and regulations. What it is, when, when we say these, they were following the way, what they were, it was describing their lifestyle. The way is a way of life. It's a kind of life, and it's an experience of life that follows the teachings of Jesus. Uh, it comes from John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus told them, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, after, comes to the Father except through me. So here you see the persecution of the persecution by Saul. Acts chapter 9, 3 through 6, what we're going to see is the intervention by Jesus. Paul is, Paul, or I'm sorry, Saul is storming down this road. He's got all his boys. They're probably beating on their chest. You know, in my head, as I was preparing for this, I'm thinking, all right, it's like a football team. You know how they're all in the, in the tunnel getting ready to go out and they're smacking heads and, and doing all those things. And I can't imagine that the guys that, that Saul got to go with him were, were, the, were the intellectuals. He probably got the meatheads to go with him that are like smacking each other and grunting and doing all those types of things. But it's in the midst of all of this hate and anger that Saul has his world blown apart, literally. Let me read uh, verses uh, three, nine, chapter 9, 3 through 6 again. It says, As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. As he's traveling down the road, there is this light um, that just totally consumes him. And, and, and there are other places where Saul is recounting the story of what happened. And he talks about how they were traveling in the middle of the day. They were traveling at noon when the sun is going to be at its highest point and going to be its brightest. And this light was so bright that it actually blocked out the sun for him. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a light that bright. Um, sometimes we'll get those, uh, those little firecrackers, particularly around the, the 4th of July, and you light them, and it, it, it's, I don't even know. Some of y'all can tell me what's in them. Um, but it, it has that really flash like strobe light that's really bright, and, and you look at it, and then you can't see anything because you got all the, the, the burns on your, uh, on your eyeballs or whatever. There's scientific stuff that goes with this. I'm not a scientist. So. Um, but Saul would later describe the light as being unexpected <coughs> excuse me, and brighter than the noonday sun. They were traveling, I said, like I said, they were traveling, out, uh, or traveling outside around noon, and the light was brighter than the sun. In contrast to all of the darkness that was consuming Saul's heart was the light from heaven. And in the midst of this light, Saul fell to the ground, and it was at this point that he heard a voice that asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And not only did Saul hear Jesus, but Saul also saw Jesus. Uh, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Back in Acts chapter 1, when they were choosing somebody to take um, Judas's place, they had all of these regulations for who could be selected, and one of them was to have seen the risen Savior. And so in this, in, in this verse indicates that Saul actually had a face-to-face -face interaction with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 says, Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Saul had a face-to-face -face interaction with Jesus. Now, it was at this point that Saul's world came crumbling down. Everything that he had built, everything that he had established, everything that he was trying to do in this interaction just completely got wiped out. He was face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ, the one that he was opposing. Jesus cried out, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus replied that it was Jesus who Paul or who Saul was persecuting. Those words had to be devastating to Saul. Because in that brief, that one sentence there, Saul was brought face to face with every wicked thing that he had done in opposing the church. Every single stone that was lobbed at Stephen, Saul realized that those stones were being lobbed at Jesus. And every synagogue that he went in and busted up, Saul, Saul came to understand that it was Jesus he was dragging off to prison. And every person who he approved of their death, it was as if he was approving the death of Jesus. His entire passion for what he was doing was completely destroyed. Saul was wrecked and shattered. He was standing before Jesus knowing full well that he was guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt. Every wicked thing that he had done, he was brought face to face with. But here's the amazing thing. Here's the grace that we see in this passage. There is no condemnation from Jesus Christ. There is, there is in the words that Jesus spoke to Saul, he does not condemn him. He does not belittle him. He doesn't deride him for any of those things. He simply, he didn't do any of those things. Instead, he looked at Saul and he gave him a set of directions. He doesn't say, I can't use you because you're wicked and you did all of these things. He said, Saul, you're going to get up and you're going to go to Damascus and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Jesus offered Saul forgiveness and restoration. Saul was brought face to face with his sin. And what did it do? It led him to salvation. He was brought face to face and led to salvation. He saw the guilt that was on his hands and he knew what it meant that he was deserving of punishment. He understood that all of the good things that he was trying to do were nothing because of, of, of the things that he had done. And the same is true for you and me. For each one of us who is a believer, there needed to be a time where we were brought face to face with our sin. For me, that happened when I was in kindergarten. As a five-year-old, I didn't really have the opportunity to have done a lot of bad things. Right? I'm five years old. What's the worst I did? I knocked over a cookie jar. I, uh, I remember I, there was a time where um, I stuck my fingers under the door of the bathroom while it, the, the classroom I went to, or the school I went to, we had the kindergarten room on this side 
we had the first and second grade room over here on this side. And in the middle, there was this like little hallway that had the bathroom. And so if you needed to go to the bathroom, you would go into that little hallway and, uh, and go to use the bathroom. Well, if you were in the kindergarten room, you were specifically told, do not interrupt the first grade room. So what did I do? Stuck my fingers under the door and pulled like a Michelle Tanner and wiggled my fingers under the door, uh, right? And, and, and then I got in trouble for it. So, I mean, but one day in kindergarten and during chapel at, at the school that I went to, um, the pastor was, was speaking about sin and he was preaching about hell. And I've always, I've always thought, you know, that was a really heavy topic for kindergarten chapel. But I'm, I'm eternally thankful that he had this, he had the, this, this talk because it was at that point that I was, came face to face with the fact that I was not a good kid. All right? I was not, I was not a good kid. And be, not being a good kid, I understood that outside of Jesus, I was going to be eternally separated from Jesus in a place that we call hell. Because he had that, that preacher spoke on that, I was brought face to face with my sin, and I understood that outside of Jesus, I was eternally separated. Just as Saul was shown his need for salvation through his encounter with Jesus, each of us needs to have an encounter with Jesus as well. It is only when we realize the depths of our sin and, that, and the depravity that is in our hearts that we can cry out to Jesus for salvation. Over in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is teaching and he says, he says it's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. And I've always, I've always thought, looked at that verse and went, well, that's not good. Like, rich people can't go to heaven? I mean, think about that. But what I've come to understand is that what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about a person who has a lot of money depending on their money to get them to heaven. They're relying on their resources as a way to earn eternal life. And so what Jesus is saying is that as long as you're relying on something, your good works, your money, your, your good looks, whatever it might be, if you're relying on something like that, you are not going to get to heaven. It's impossible for you to do that. But outside of, outside of Jesus Christ, it is impossible for you to get to heaven. So you could be sitting here today and thinking, well, I'm a good person. But until you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're headed toward eternal separation from him. It doesn't matter how many. You could be Mother Teresa. Right? I'm going to say Mother Teresa. Nobody has done more good works than Mother Teresa. Would you all agree with me? Okay, there might be, but I don't know her. I don't actually don't know Mother Teresa either. But, um, but if, we, if we think about that, nobody has done more good works for her. But if Mother Teresa didn't put her trust in Jesus Christ... She is headed for to, she is in eternal separation from Christ. The same is true for a righteous man. He is trusting his good works to get him to heaven instead of relying on the work of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. That may be you. So my question is, what are you trusting for salvation? Are you hoping that you've done enough good works so when you get to heaven, they put the good works on this side of the scale and the bad works on this side of the scale, and you're hoping the good works tip this way? All right? Is that what you're hoping on? The, the, the cosmic scale is going to help you out? Or are you trusting that Jesus has forgiven your sins and made you a child of God? Now, at this point in our story, Jesus instructs Saul to continue on to Damascus. Now, instead of going to kill and arrest believers, however, Saul was being given, given a different message. He was being commissioned to serve Jesus to advance the, and to advance the gospel instead of seeking to destroy it. 
What is so remarkable about this is that Jesus is, is that Jesus saved Saul despite the horrors that he had already done. Many people think that they have to get their lives right, that they got to clean themselves up. I've got I've to make sure I've got all these things in order, and then Jesus will accept me. Saul was on his way to kill people. Like, he was on a mission of death. And Jesus said, you're now my child. And Saul said, let's do it. Right? He didn't. Saul wasn't given the opportunity to clean himself up. He wasn't given an opportunity to do any of those things. Jesus confronted him and said, why are you persecuting me? And as we'll see, that that was the moment of salvation for Saul. If you're, you may be here, you may be watching via Facebook or listening to the podcast. If you, you may be trying to do your best to earn God's favor. Here's the thing. Stop doing it. It ain't going to work. You're going to wear yourself out. You can never do enough good works to earn God's favor. If he can save Saul, God most certainly can and will save you. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is what I had Joey read as our call to worship. Uh, this is Paul's testimony. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. What, what Paul is saying is Christ didn't come to save uh, rich people. He didn't come to save righteous people. He came to save sinners. You don't have to earn your way into Jesus' favor. Jesus wants to give you his favor. The third thing that we see in our story is the obedience of Saul. After the encounter with Jesus, the men that were with Saul had, had heard the sound, but they didn't get to see anything. Right? And the reason that Luke is pointing this out, if you'll remember, Luke is writing the book of Acts. He's writing a historical account to a man named Theophilus to show him all of the things that took place as the church got started. And what, the reason he points out that the men that were with Saul heard it but didn't see anything was he was, trying, he was showing that this was an actual historical fact. This wasn't Paul having a mental breakdown that his rage had finally caused his brain to snap. It wasn't that Paul was having a hallucination or any of those types of things. This actually happened, and these men over here could testify to it. That's what Luke was trying to do. Now, after getting up off of the ground, Saul realized that even though his eyes were open, he couldn't see anything. Right? He was completely blind, even though he, his eyes were still working, or his, his eyes were still open. In fact, he had to be led by the hand in order to get everywhere. This was a completely humbling experience for him. Saul did arrive in Damascus, but instead of entering like a conqueror, like I watch a lot of police shows, and, and the police, when they're, when they're going into somebody's house, they're not like, hi, can we come in? You know, it's not real timid. What do they do? They kick down the doors and start shooting the place up. Well, at least on the shows that I watch. Um, Right? Hopefully real police officers aren't doing that. But they, you know, they're busting down doors. They're running in. They're, they're knocking people to the ground, all of this. That was, the, that was the image we had of Saul as he began his journey. Now as he's entering Damascus, we have a completely different one. This is a broken and helpless man who's being led by the hand into it. No longer is he the conqueror. He is actually having to have other people help him. And for the next three days, Saul was unable to see and did not eat or drink anything. Saul's conversion was so sudden, it was difficult for him to fully comprehend the change that was taking place in him. 
And so for those three days, he spent it in commune with God, and God was helping him to rebuild and become the man that he, he would later become. I think it's important to note that Saul was, ome- ob- yeah, was immediately obedient to Jesus. In Acts chapter 22, he is recounting these events, and he states that he asked Jesus what Jesus wanted him to do. Saul had immediately made Jesus the Lord of his life, being willing to obey him from the start. And we must be ready to do the same thing. There are things in our lives that we know shouldn't be there. And we, are, we must be willing, or, and we're allowing them to come between us and our relationship with God. I don't know what they are. I don't want to sit up here and give examples like this, 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 and this. That's what I'm, but I think if we all reflect on our lives, there are all things that we know that we do that, that we should probably, well, I'm not even going to say probably, that we need to lay at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, this has been a part of my life. It is coming between you and me. I'm giving it to you. That is what Saul did. When we are saved, Christ becomes Lord and is entitled to all that we are. We don't get to segment Jesus and say, Jesus, you get to be Lord over here, but I'm going to keep this part over here. This is, this is my secret part. You don't get to touch this. Jesus is Lord over everything. And that's, what, that's exactly what we see here with Saul. Saul understood this and was obedient to Jesus by continuing into Damascus. Think about how easy it could have been for Saul to go, dudes, I can't see. I don't know what just happened. Let's get out of here. Because word had already reached Damascus. The Christians, the the disciples were waiting for him to arrive. We're going to see that next week. They were waiting for him to come. You have to imagine, they they were preparing and and they were getting ready for this, this force that was going to come and get them. And Paul or Saul could have said, look, I I don't know what's happening here. Let's go back until I get better, and then we'll come take care of them. But instead, he humbled himself, and he entered the city the way that he was because Jesus had commanded him to do so. Saul came into the town completely humbled and helpless, depending on his men and Jesus in order to find his way. Now, as we close, let me leave you with this. For some people, the process of salvation takes a long time. And what I mean by that is that there are people, and I think we all know somebody, where we have prayed for them and we have cried over them, and it has been weeks and months and years where we have prayed for them to become saved. For other people, it happens instantaneously. They don't even expect it. It is a sudden event. This was the case with Saul, the man who would later become the Apostle Paul. He would write almost half of the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Saul, is, or Saul, who later became Paul, is responsible for writing about 12 or 13 of them. He wrote a good portion of the, uh, the New Testament. And he was instrumental in spreading the gospel throughout much of the known world. As we're going to see as we continue through the book of Acts, here in just a few chapters, the story is going to shift. And they're no longer going to focus on Peter and John and the apostles in Jerusalem. The story becomes about Saul. His name changes to Paul as he travels around the world, taking the gospel to places that had never experienced it. In every single case, as we saw here, every single case, salvation is a gracious gift of God. When we are saved, we are responding to the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And and because it is a gift, there is nothing that we can do 
to earn God's favor. We can't earn our salvation. We can't go out and, and, and feed homeless children and take care of uh, kittens who have no mother and, and do all those things and hope that that's going to get us salvation. Saul certainly wasn't out to earn salvation when, when Jesus, from Jesus when he was confronted with the depths of his sin. But in, in Jesus' mercy and grace, Jesus saved Saul. There was nothing that Saul was doing that would, would say, I think that guy needs to be a believer, right? If you, if you were to look and go, well, do we, really want, do we really want this guy on our team? Look at what he's doing. He, he killed my brother, right? That, that, Saul was not seeking salvation. Jesus came to him and saved him. It, it was through his grace and his mercy that that happened. If you are a believer, if you're sitting here today and you have faith in Jesus Christ, it is because Jesus saved you. It's not because you were a good person. It's not because you had a lot of money or you're, you're, you're beautiful like me. You know, it's, it's none of those things. Why are y'all laughing? That's messed up. That's just wrong. Unbelievable. All right. If you are a believer, Jesus did the same thing. He saved you. If you are here today and you are not a believer, know that you being here is not an accident. Christ is offering the gift of salvation to you. Let me leave you with this verse and then we'll close. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord. And uh, it, it's a passage that is often referenced, but sometimes I, I think that we don't truly appreciate the depths and the beauty of what happened here. That here was a man who was, who was overwhelmed by anger, who was overwhelmed by hate, so much so that he was willing to go out and kill and arrest and hurt people. And Jesus showed up to him and saved him right there. He didn't have to clean himself up. He didn't have to do good, good works or give money to the church or any of those things, it was through the grace of Jesus that Saul was saved. And Father, the same thing is true for each one of us that is, that is a believer, that, have, that has put their faith and trust in Jesus, that through Jesus' grace and mercy and his death on the cross, we were able to put our faith and trust in him. And it is only through Jesus' grace and mercy that any one of us has salvation. Lord, help us to never get past that fact, those of us that, that believe that, Never to get past the fact that it's not our good works, it's not our money, it's not our intelligence or our, our good looks or any of those things that, that would cause Jesus to save us, but it is through his mercy and his grace alone that we have salvation. And Father, if there is anyone hearing my voice through, through whatever channel it might be, Facebook, being here in the audience, being, listening to the, the podcast sermon later, if there's anyone here who has never had that experience, who has never... Um, come to understand the depths of their sin, the fact that their good works is not enough to cover it, but it is only through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, putting our faith and trust that he can take away our sins and give us a new heart that we can have salvation. Father, I pray that for anyone that was listening, whatever burden they may need to lay down, uh, that today would be the day that that would take place. And Lord, if, uh, Lord, I pray that we would be different people, that we would um, be caught up in the beauty of the gospel, the understanding that it's not about us, it's all about Jesus and the work that he did that we can have salvation. Lord, help us to be different people as a result of that. 
We ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.